I'm very bad at this thing. So last week, uh, Bob gave you all kinds of background information, all kinds of introduction. Um, some of you may have taken notes, some of you may not have, but in either case, are there any compelling questions that you were just scratching your head about, going, what was he talking about, what does this mean, I have to ask this? So they either have no questions because they weren't paying attention, or you did a very good job. It was a little bit of nodding, but we're okay. <laughs> All right, so we're doing good. Um, and at the end of class, Bob was kind enough to hand out a piece of paper with approximately eight questions on that. Did everybody get the homework? An hour ago. An hour ago. On my Better late than never. If you didn't do it, I don't want to hear the excuses. Yeah, okay, because okay, you have it. <laughs> As you can tell, I know several of you, so we're allowed to banter a little bit more. Okay, so here's what I'd like to do. Um, I'd like to go through the passages. We've got a few verses, 6 through 18. Read through it, talk about it a little bit in terms of what's being said on the surface here. And then I think what will foster a lot of questions and a lot of deeper investigation is actually going through the homework so for those of you who were able to do it, fantastic. We'll make sure you did it correctly and got the right answers where it wasn't an opinion question. And we'll dive into some word studies because part of what we want to do is make sure everybody can do this for themselves so that you're, while we enjoy teaching, you should also at some point have the ability to do this yourself and really dive into the word. So we'll work through some of the word studies together. And then we will probably take us right about time to say goodbye for the evening. So let's start off. Uh, verse 6 through 18, 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 18. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hand. Okay, so I am reading out of the NIV. So if you're following a long reading and that is not matching up, why is it not matching up? Different translation. But it's the Bible. Why would that matter? I have Bob's notes. I know he went over this. Why would it matter? Yeah. Uh, it's the Bible. It's God's Word. Because it's a translation from um, humans that did that. And what were they trying to accomplish when they translated? It's Greek. So in this case, they're starting with Greek. And what's the problem? Greek is Greek, right? There's not always the word translation into English. Okay, so the translators had to make some decisions based on the manuscripts that they were re that they were using as their source reference, and there's lots of manuscripts, and they may have decided that different English words convey the Greek message differently. So, my preference is NASB, but because on Sunday mornings we read out of the NIV. That's what I'm reading out of right now. Okay. Verse 7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Ouch. We get a lot of stuff right there. Automatically we've got a problem because a lot of our excuses go away. So we'll come back and talk about that a little bit more. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner, rather join me with me in suffering for the gospel by the power.
power of God. Okay, let's stop for a second right there. So he's his prisoner. What is Paul referring to? Is it metaphor at this point in time in Paul's career? Well, he's also prisoner in Rome. So yeah. But for Christ. Right. So we know he's in jail. That came from last week. And he's also talking about his relationship with Christ in respect to being that prisoner in that respect. So it's kind of a, it's a double message here. And then he asks us to join him in suffering for the gospel. Okay, everybody raise your hands. How many are excited about the proposition? I'm not. <laughs> but he's clearly telling us he's got a positive attitude about the gospel message, about his ministry, but the word suffering comes up. And a lot of times I think we avoid the fact that Paul was not necessarily so enthusiastic about the fact that he's in prison and suffering. But here it is. We can't avoid the subject. And that's why that's one of your questions, is we're going to deal with that a little bit. So yeah, he's not necessarily having a good time, and he's recognizing that. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purposes and grace. So we're called to be set apart, right? That's what the word holy means. And that's how our life is supposed to be, a set apart life for his purposes. This is a big one for a lot of people. Wait a minute. It's not all about me? <laughs> what? No, I thought this was all about me being saved, me having a good time in church, me worshiping, me having friends. God has a purpose for you. And if you read nothing else in this whole section, know that God has a purpose for you, and it's based on what He wants done. And it's what, uh, the grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. God had a plan all along. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has, been, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So here we have Jesus Christ appearing as the Savior, Christ Jesus. So both of Jesus' identities are being defined here. Oftentimes we'll see him talking about Jesus, talking uh, Christ, talking about Savior, but here all of who he is. He's our Savior and Christ. And he's destroyed death. Good news. Destroyed death. Why was death here to begin with? Yeah. Yeah. No mystery here, right? Messed it up in the beginning. Christ has come to destroy that death that we all deserved. And he's brought life and immortality. What is the difference between bringing life and immortality? Well, the penalty uh, of sin is death. Right. He, he washed away the sin or abolished the sin, however you say it. Uh, he took our sin, basically. Okay. So he gave us life in that way. And okay. 
sense. So we have the opportunity to live and be here. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. The, I guess the main thing is the life after death is the important one. The immortality part? You like that? Yeah, I don't like that word, though. You don't like that word? Why don't you like that word? It, it sounds like almost a superhero. <laughs> okay. Know, okay. Yeah. So, again, let me dig a little deeper. Why don't you like that word? <laughs> I, can I just not like it? Yes, absolutely. You are perfectly <laughs> able to do that. And, the re and, and I'm not picking on you for not liking the word. I just... When I was studying this, it really, I had I've read this passage several times. Yeah, no. And I read those two together, life and immortality. And it really just caused me a moment to pause. I mean, I've always taught in many classes this whole idea of this life, this time, is just a blip on the timeline of forever, which in Christ Jesus I will have. But I've never attached the word immortality to it. I know that. But I'll tell you what, it's in at least four of the major translations as immortality. It's kind of like saying, I'm going to give you life, and then I'm going to give you life everlasting. Is it, is it uh, in, the, in ASB? Yes. In, oh, what chapter, where, where are you? What verse 10. Verse 10.
purification and that being pure and living forever, but it's we're brought to the light. So it's a whole equation. So, uh, to light through the gospel, and of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Oddly enough, the NIV uses a stranger word, which is herald, and uh, the NASB, if you're reading that, probably says preacher. What is a herald or a preacher? One who proclaims. Yes. What is an apostle? I'm asking the question. You don't get it. It's a tough crowd. Would you call them followers of Christ? In this case, the apostles had to be followers of Christ. I mean, that's the the record tells us all they were doing. This is little A apostle, but Paul's talking about himself. He was a big A apostle. He was a big A apostle, but he's talking about himself. I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. So he's just telling you his role. An apostle is one sent and commissioned for a particular task. And a teacher. What does a teacher do differently than a herald slash preacher? <laughs> you and I have talked because you did not warn me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My ears did not take up everything. So the background <laughs> stuff. Yeah, you didn't get all that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the preacher or the herald is bringing the message forth. The teacher is now putting substance to that message, right? Which is why you'll often. Um, we, we kind of, in the eldership, we often talk about what's happening on a Sunday morning, and we actually have the conversation. Where is the line between preaching and teaching, and what is the purpose on a Sunday morning, and what is Randy doing up there, which is why Randy does not like the word to be called pastor. He likes to be called Randy, because he's doing all of these things. And on a Sunday morning, we find his style is more teaching than simply getting up there, hellfire, brimstone, kind of just proclaiming this message. But they're all part and parcel to what Paul was tasked to do by the Lord. And so he's just introducing those credentials there. And it's all part of what he's doing while he's suffering, while he's in prison, and what he's trying to complete as he's passing things on to Timothy. So, because he's a herald, an apostle, and a teacher... That is why I am suffering as I am. So, I'm just not suffering needlessly. I'm not just suffering because a bunch of guys didn't like me. I'm suffering for the sake of the gospel and being that preacher, teacher, and apostle. Yes, this is no cause for shame. Because I know who I, whom I have believed and am and convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until the day, that day. So, he's not ashamed of the fact that he's in prison. I mean, what do we generally think of when we think of somebody in prison? Criminals. Bad guys. Yeah. And, and, and quite frankly, most people, I think, in general conversation, you automatically have 
a mental picture and thought process about somebody who's in jail, right? You draw all kinds of character conclusions. They've done something despicable. There's something low about that individual. So Paul, Paul's a criminal at this point. For all intents and purposes to the general public, Paul's a criminal while he's writing this and during this time. And he's saying, this is not a problem for me. I'm not thinking about this. This is not stopping me from doing what God has tasked me to do. So he's just clarifying for everybody. And I think, because this is my own opinion, I think he's kind of setting Timothy up. Look, some of this may happen to you, and you need to have the right frame of mind when this does happen. And, of course, he just invited us to suffer with him, so don't be ashamed of it. Um, okay. If you read in more than one translation this next, I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Whereas, like, uh, the ESV, for example, says what has been entrusted to me. Now, in a straight English reading, those have two totally different implications. I'm not going to muddy the water too much, but it's generally thought when fleshing out this that the implication is not what Paul has entrusted to God, but what God has entrusted to Paul being the gospel. Now, I don't necessarily find, it's not a straight scriptural reading, but I think Paul has also entrusted to God his salvation and trusting God to take care of him. But I think there's merit for both versions of this, if you will, um, but the more common one is, uh, in more translations, what I have been entrusted to him, and to, what have entrusted to him until that day, meaning until the day of he's with the Lord again. Is that what your question six is about? Um, if I... Paul entrusted to the in verse 12? Yes, yeah, it's based on the literal straight reading out of the NIV and the NASB. Yeah, and that's why I say I can I, I can I don't think it's too much of a stretch to find either reading of it and because there seems to be validity to both of them based on everything Paul said so far he has entrusted his eternity and that's why that's, that's why he's so faithful because God was faithful and he's trusting in God. So I don't think it's a stretch, yes. And what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. So, what is it that he's talking to Timothy? What is it he's heard from Timothy so far? I mean, from Paul. What has Timothy heard from Paul so far? not their first conversation either, right? Yeah. And then um, keep as a pattern of sound teaching. We're going to talk about a little bit more, but basically sound teaching is what? Yeah. <laughs> 
healthy and teaching his logo, Word of God. So the healthy, healthy Word of speech statement. Yeah. The true Word of true Word of God, the Gospel. Healthy, proper, in sound condition. In sound condition is complete. It's complete. May the Lord grant he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. 
know very well in many ways he helped me in Ephesus. So again, we don't know exactly what help that was, but he um, clearly was involved in Paul's ministry and helping Paul along the way. Okay. Not too tough, really, I think, in terms of what it says. It's pretty straightforward here for the most part. Um, any initial questions from when you first read through this or when we just read this? Um, anything kind of strike you? When I read it, the thing that struck me was that, you know, when uh, Onesiphorus right, yeah. went in and looking for, looking for Paul, mm -hmm. he's in a politically charged environment hunting for a guy who, who would be giving him a really bad image with anybody and, and in a political environment where it was fair game to throw Christians under the bus. Yeah, yeah, light yeah. Him up. yeah. And he's going, hey, you know this guy? I'm his friend. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that, that really struck me. It says a lot about who he was in relationship to Paul. And then there, I think, by extension, it says something about his faith, which I think is what Paul's talking about, which is grant him mercy. Um, said, hey, look, he was really here for me. Please take care of him. Because all this political turmoil is going on, look out for him. And we don't see that with Paul with a lot of individuals. He's got a lot of relationships, but, I mean, there's three verses that don't tell us a whole lot, but we get the meat of it, and then this guy's mentioned pretty much nowhere else in Scripture, which is pretty interesting. Okay, let's go back up then, and let's attack some of the questions that I gave you guys. And the first of which, let's look at this. Um, so, I had asked you if you had the opportunity to read in at least two different translations. Did you um, if you had the opportunity to do that, what two translations did you use, or have you used, because I know several of you have been in like Randy's class and stuff, so you probably have favorite translations that you gravitate towards. And did you see anything that you thought were significant differences?
And at a practical level, how do you do that? Sunday morning has some assistance. <laughs> 
And then this idea of the uh, fan into flame or kindle afresh also carries this idea of it's not just the obvious of the flame, but it, it, it encompasses one's mind, one's strength, uh, one's passion. And it's just not a little bit here and there. It's, it's a totally encompassing scenario. And so that fire is an active, living, breathing representation. And as soon as it's not fed, it dies. So he starts off pretty loaded <laughs> in this section right here by using that phrase. Okay? So that is one of my favorite fa phrases, actually. Verse 7. There are a few words in verse 7 that I believe I said I wanted you to look up, find the definition, look up in the Greek and find the definition. Those were timid, power, love, and self-discipline. So, not to make any assumptions that everybody knows how to do this, do, did, is everybody able to know how to look up Greek words and get definitions? If you're not, we'll go through the exercise together. Good. I didn't know how far you guys got with it. So, just because I'm always curious about things, a uh, quick survey. How many of you use printed tools to do this? How many of you went online to BibleStudyTools.com? Biblos. 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 Okay. Everybody's got their favorite tool. Yeah. Okay, how many of you are aware that a vast majority of those tools contain a, frequently contain errors? Okay. So, I love the electronic tools. They're very fast. It means I can work in a smaller space and everything. But if Bob did not already caution you, if something doesn't sound right or it seems confusing because the word just doesn't seem to match up with what's being said in context, Chances are you probably need to reference what you just looked up electronically with one of the printed guides. And the primary reason is a very actually simple one. Most of those electronic tools, uh, the free ones, are most, mostly using public domain information and or licenses, and they've done the translation and the conversion into electronic format themselves. And depending on the size of their staff, their funding, and their donations determines how much time they had to go back and edit that and make sure it was accurate. So don't be surprised if you find errors. And my biggest clue on that is if it doesn't make any sense at all, it's probably because I either did it wrong or it, is, it did not get transferred from the printed manuscript correctly. Okay, so what is the Greek word for timid? Ah, yes. What does it mean? Fearfulness, cowardice. Otherwise known as the Sayers definition. Sayers. <laughs> okay. Any problems with this this idea that we were not given a spirit of fear? Sorry, my, I'm relying on my electronic version, which just took a dive. 
There we go. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so for God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of power and love. Thank you. And this, oh no, one's enough. For God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So, God did not give us a spirit of fear. Or cowardice, if you want to use that word, correct. Yeah. It's a really strong word, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's a God study thing. You don't want to be powers. I mean, that's like... Well, you don't even want to be fearful, do you? No, well, no. Well, I mean, I can be, I can be fearful that I might have two cookies. Sure. So, and we'll right. find a better word that's a little softer. So <laughs> that's right. Stricter than that. So when you're coming to your powers, you're like, well, I am not. Yeah. So he's, why is he telling us this? Or why is he telling Timothy this? <laughs> For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. When you feel that fearfulness or reservation, it's not from God. It's not from God. It's given something to be overcome because it's not what God wants us to be. Yeah, and he's, again, he's a prisoner at this point in time. And if God wants you somewhere, he will give you the power and the tools to make it happen. But you have to recognize that, right? And you have to believe it. Correct. So he goes on then and says, not of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Or some translations probably say self-discipline. So what is power? What is the word for power? I'm hearing two different words. Okay, I'm just hearing a different... Uh, you're reading the phonetic? Yeah. It's okay. Most of us don't know whether you're right or wrong, so as long as you can spell it correctly, we'll be okay. Okay, so what is dynamis or dunamis? Dunamis is probably more correct. Power, might, strength, miraculous. Power, might, strength, miraculous. Does that make you feel comfortable or uncomfortable? I got the power. Well, I got the power, but I have miraculous. But you're afraid of immortality, in so what is your power? In, in the middle of the struggle, help me, God. Right. <laughs> right. And is that... And that's where the power comes from. That's right, know. which I think is why he's carrying this with, don't, you know, we don't have that spirit of fearfulness. You have to drive that out and go back to the fact that you do have that strength. But where does that strength come from? From God. Okay, so there's a big difference here between our power... And I think this is the TV evangelist message that we have to be careful of, not that they're all bad. But this is power. Can you imagine the ways I can spin this if I'm talking to somebody and trying to persuade them about something? Oh, yeah. So what is the limiting fact? What, what is the big difference between our power and God's power? Not, you know, obviously that he can raise things from the dead and all that kind of stuff. But there's a key element here with this word because there's another word that, unfortunately, I don't have it in my notes that is also associated with God, that also means power. It's unlimited. It is unlimited, but no is there anything that... from righteousness rather than... When you think it's just based on righteousness and justice. What is it? power. His power is righteous power. And is not... Is our power then different from that? Not the power that we are using from Him. We have other powers that we can use for evil, right? That's our super... super, super 
ability to use this power, this strength. Well, Where does that come He gives us the ability and the authority to use oh, it. In a good way. <laughs> in a good right. Does God? Does anybody give God the authority, or is it inherent in His power? Our power, this power from God, essentially does not exist without Him allowing it. But God's power is there no matter what. He has the strength, the ability, and the authority. We have to be given the authority to utilize it, and that's a big, big separator. Because you, I. I Every Sunday morning when I'm flipping through channels, uh, sipping my tea before church, you can't help but see these guys talking about how much power we have in God. And you hear, you see everybody, and they pan to the audience, and everybody's nodding their head. But there's no definition and understanding of, are there limits to that power? Because the next part of that message is, you can do all things, you can do anything, it's all within you, God's given you everything you need. But that opens up a lot of room for abuse. Uh, the power he gives me is, is, I feel like, is what keeps me faithful. And I wouldn't be faithful without him. Right, you're not going to go out and raise somebody from the dead. No, but I need his power on a daily basis just to get through the day sometimes. And, uh, and when you say his power... Well, the fact that I'm up here teaching okay. with you guys is not on my own. Okay. Okay. I'm relying on God. That's kind of the way what I'm thinking. Is that yeah. You're not on your own on anything you're doing. I try not to be because I try to rely on God to guide me in that through what he gives me. And my ability is limited by the authority of what I'm given. I mean, I, I have bosses, right? They dictate what I'm allowed to do. Nobody dictates except for God what he's allowed to do. He makes that decision. When we start relying, this is where, when we start relying on ourselves and we start thinking we get to make all those decisions, what or, happens? We're trying to use it for our own purpose rather than for this purpose. Right, because why do we have the power? Do we have the power so that we will benefit? No, no. And he goes and he says that, right? He says that right in here. It's for his purposes. All of this is for his purposes. Okay. And so breaking it down and understanding the dynamics of power is why why I put that in there. Because when it's paired with this idea of cowardice and fearfulness, it really becomes <laughs> Yeah. But there's that contrast. Yeah. And we have to recognize both exist, but one's where we're supposed to be and one's where we sometimes choose to be, and we have to be careful. And then we have love. What's the purpose of having love in this whole equation? Well, agape is God's love, how God loves us, how we love him, how God loves the Son. And doing what's best for the other person. Yeah. It, it says here, I, I never read that under any time I looked up a copy doing what's 
So I know what I'd like to think I would answer if I was truly suffering, but until it happens, I don't know what my answer is. Okay. Um, go ahead, looking at verse 12. What has Paul entrusted to be guarded in verse 12? He's entrusted the Holy Spirit to watch or guard over him and his coming to the seat of Jesus' name. Anybody see it different? Did that Paul has entrusted his eternity to Christ? what I saw. His eternity. His faithfulness. Well, I also included his life on earth. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, he's, he's sitting there in prison. Right. He's got a really pretty good idea on what's coming. Right. And, and he's come to peace with it. Like, okay. Right, because the natural, the known story plays out that he gets crucified, hung, some form beheaded. of beheaded, some form of death mm-hmm. is the likely cause of action as he sees it based on what happens to prisoners at the time. And, but he's entrusting that to God. So I'm good with, I don't have to like it, but I'm good with whatever you decide, God, because I'm trusting you. I've given you my life, I've given you my life here on earth, I've given you my life in in eternity. It's all been given to you. So now, the more personal question, you don't have to answer it out loud if you don't want to, but at least think about it. So Paul is apparently very convinced about this and very, as Bob said, he's pretty much at ease with it. He's, he's at peace. Are you equally as at peace and convinced as Paul was? I want to go quietly in my sleep. Okay. Well, I don't want to be a prisoner in chains and be headed. Okay. Um, I prefer not to as well. The whole thing is it's what Randy teaches us about the three-dimensional faith. Mm-hmm. Trusting, believing, trusting, and living in obedience to God. And the more you practice that, the more your heart is being prepared for whatever's coming. I've only been practicing for about 20 years. Some of you have been Christian your whole life. And yet still practicing. I'm just, well, not all actively living in persecution. We're not sitting in prison. 
we're all able to move around, we all got here one way or another, and we're all going to leave here one way or another. So we have a lot of freedom and don't have to think about lack of that freedom. So I kind of baited you guys in, in, a, in a certain sense. I find it to be a very difficult question to answer with the spirit that Paul answered it with because I haven't had the experiences. Well, and I think the, the important part here is to keep perspective. Mm -hmm. So when bad things happen, don't blow it out of proportion in your head because that fear is disabling and leads you into very bad places. And so not, not, not wallowing in it and going, yeah, that, that wasn't very much fun, but okay, next. Right. And, and because there are, I have met people who have had what I consider to be fairly little things happen to them that turned catastrophic for them mm -hmm. because they said it. It's like, wow, don't do that. Absolutely. And I think maybe that's, I mean, it's my own rationalization, so I can't claim this what scripture says, but maybe that's why I've never experienced it. Paul has, Paul's sharing how we can approach this and wrap our head around it. So perhaps if I ever do, I have an example to go by and don't have to experience it on my own or discover what to do should it happen. And maybe that's exactly the point of why Paul's having to do this. Is there are a lot of us who never will, but now understand those who do. So let's bring the suffering down to something a lot more easy to, for us to experience. And so we're not suffering imprisonment and, and beatings and that sort of thing. But every day, we, God leaves opportunity in front of us every day to yeah. share truth and to be bold about shining our faith. And there are times when I know I deliberately stay silent out of fear of what if I say the wrong thing? What if I, I mean, I become very self-absorbed into what if I don't do it right? The cowardice. Yes. And, into it, right? and, and that kind of stuff, I think that's part of measuring how much I trust my preparation, what God has done for me, to be able to just make, say the first words and let him take it where it will go. Comes and back to that, recognizing that power and being self-disciplined uh, enough to allow God to take over so that you override your natural reactions to give in to the fear or the cowardice and it's not open them up. Whether you trust or don't trust. And, and sometimes that's when my face, when I realize that, oh, God, I'm sorry I didn't trust you to stop long enough to say something kind to that person. And well, their need, I discover their need, and, you know, whether or not I can meet it. And it's stuff like, yeah. I mean, well, and the missed opportunity and then because you, you're bringing it up in relationship to how it occurs, I think most people are willing to think about it and figure that out. You just have to be willing to admit I was selfish, I was fearful, whatever it is because it's saying something about you at that moment. Mm -hmm. So once you get past that, then it's what have I learned from this and what will I do the next time? So will I be self-disciplined? Will I be self-controlled? Will I get that fear under check, and will I rely on the power? And will I talk to God? Will I become more trusting? As I practice doing that, hopefully there's less fear and more opening of the mouth. I just want to make sure that we understand that, that we don't have to be under the thumb of a, of a 
worldly government that does not allow us any freedom in order to consider ourselves suffering. I think we, we suffer, and there's certainly that physical suffering and that mental suffering, that anguish. But again, if we're not careful, we fall into a victim mode no matter what kind of measure of suffering we're talking about. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, you look at, um, as Paul talks about, everybody in Asia who ran away. <laughs> and then there's Onisiphorus, who actually, in Rome, sought him out. Hey, I'm going to go align myself and let everybody know that my friend is the guy in prison for doing what he's not supposed to do. But he's my friend, and I'm going to go find him while all these other people left. What did they do? They were not self-controlled. They gave in to the fear, and they took off. They were thinking about themselves. Clearly not what Paul would model and want from us as disciples. But it takes practice, absolutely. It's an ongoing process. You can be 12 years old, you can be 120 years old, and still have a, a mature interaction or an immature interaction when these situations arise. Age is not the determining factor here. Perhaps how trusting, how faithful, and how believing you are is more of the aspect than the age. Okay. Um, we actually talked about this as we went along, so just to rehearse it real quick, is what did you find for the meaning of sound teaching? And accounting, self-worth, Lots of different stuff, yeah? yeah? What's the general spirit of all of the definitions? The true word of the gospel. Yeah, that would definitely be the biblical implication of it, yeah. The true word, not corrupted. Okay. What is the good deposit Paul is speaking of in verse 14? In the NIV, it says good deposit. In the NASB, because some of you looked it up in the NASB, what does it say in the NASB? Treasure. Treasure. The gospel. Definition of kalos or kalos. 
beautiful, handsome, excellent, eminent, choice, surpassing, precious, useful, suitable, commendable, admirable, beautiful by reason of purity of heart and life. And what does that have to do with treasure? Has an outward trace of the gospel with all those things. Okay. Outward sign of inward good. You saw that one, your definition? Don't hold on to it and bury it. 
you have to conduct yourself this way, and as you're conducting yourself this way, then do this, this, and this, stand into flame. So you have to, it's kind of like take care of yourself, make sure you're spiritually healthy, make sure you're doing these things, make sure you have sound mind, of good conscience, and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and at the same time, take that message and make it grow. You don't get this, it's not just about being selfish. It's not just about holding on to it. Hey, I feel great. Everything's good. Yes, all good. Right, that's not what you're saying. Like Bob said, it ties it together in these, what, 12 passages? Well, lots of 12 verses. It ties into this, I mean, it's part of the letter, but it's a nice little summary of what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. So can I give you a juicy example of that? I'll cut you off if it gets out of control. Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. So if I just light a match and hold it up, you know, three or four inches away mm-hmm. from a piece of paper, I'm not going to catch it on fire. But if I take a piece of titanium and yeah. burn it and catch and hold it that close to the paper, it's going to it's going to ignite and flash burn yeah. because of the the the, the radiance of the heat. And so I think that's what he's talking about here is he don't be docile, don't take your fire and put it under a bushel where no one can see it. You should be that 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 one that's on the that light on the hilltop you can be seen for miles. Yeah, I think this ties very much into that. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's an instruction to Timothy, it's an encouragement to Timothy and us. And us. It's not just for Timothy. So, you know, this goes back to on these other rabbit trails. You know, well, I don't need to share the message. I'm afraid to share the message. Kind of like, I've got mine. They can get theirs. You know, all of these reasons, excuses, while it may take practice to overcome them once we're aware of them, and this is a passage kind of, you know, about that. Here's what you're supposed to do. Because Paul is setting Timothy up to take and run. So, next week... You have some homework. (laughs) (laughs) Starting to notice a trend, huh? No, with the homework, the idea is obviously um, do the best you can, prepare, and then anything you get stuck on we'll go over in class. And especially like if you're, um, I think it's a fairly safe bet. That page is not good, but that's why you're not getting it. Um, I think it's a fairly safe bet that you can pretty much... Sorry, Jen, what? You did the same thing that you tried to do. Yeah, it was on purpose in the test. I know. It's a big word. Yeah. Um, I think it's a safe bet that you can pretty much assume... You got one here? Yeah. Um, that you will find the request to look up some words and find out what the Greek word is and the meaning. You will find that fairly regularly because it's such an important skill. Um, As you saw tonight with several words, the English doesn't do justice or can be slightly misleading based on a common understanding of what certain English words mean. So that's going to be a common thread. And if you're having trouble with any of your tools or having trouble using them, by all means, ask when we get into class. We'll work through those words together because we've got the more popular tools here to uh, walk through here. So, thank you very much.